Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and your moderator for this morning. Today is Sunday, March 20th, 2022. The sheer ID numbers for Friday, March 18th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 18,704. That's one eight seven zero four. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 18,705. That's one eight seven zero five. This morning, A Vision for You presents From Powerless to Prayerful. The purpose of the big book is to change your life through a 12-step process of personal transformation leading to a spiritual awakening. The foundation of our spiritual process is having a personal experience of powerlessness. Powerless. We admit that all our efforts, our resources, Our energy, our knowledge, our willpower, and our desire have not delivered the hoped-for results. With the first step, we accepted the fundamental problem we face as compulsive overeaters, our powerlessness over food and the unmanageability of our lives. In the second step, We found the nature of the solution, a power greater than ourselves who could restore us to sanity. In the third step, we are now ready for a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of that power. According to the AA 12 and 12, the effectiveness of the whole AA program will rest upon how well and earnestly We have tried to come to a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Joining us this morning to speak on steps one, two, and three is Jennifer C., a recovered compulsive overeater from South Carolina. Jennifer is dedicated to our 12-step way of life and to carrying the message of recovery, and it's with great appreciation that I welcome Jennifer C. to the line this morning. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much, Leah. Um, Good morning, and thank you for that introduction. This is Jennifer C. um, from Greenville, South Carolina, and uh, lack of power was always my dilemma. Um, Vision for You has a really special place in my heart, and particularly these special editions. Um, I can truly say that God has used special edition after special edition after special edition to guide me to a recovered state today. And I'm not sure I'd be where I am without vision um, and without these special editions. So I am truly humbled um, to be on this end of the line this morning. And for me, it is truly uh, a miracle. So I'd like to open up in prayer and, um, and see what God does this morning. <clears throat> Father God, thank you so much 
for being here with us. Thank you for um, these beautiful steps. Thank you for this beautiful program. Um, I ask that you bring us into this process and give us a new experience of powerlessness and unmanageability, as well as connection with your power and with your spirit. Um, We thank you for what you're going to do, and we thank you for um, who you are in all of us. Amen. So um, a good friend of mine in this program once told me that much of this journey is about me needing my purpose. Um, Like I need to need my purpose, right? Being on this line this morning, sharing my experience is definitely part of my purpose, but God knows I wouldn't be here if I didn't need these steps and if I didn't need this purpose. Um, And it took me a long time to surrender to this purpose, um, to needing this program, this process, these steps, all of you. Um, I thank God that I need this because it's one of the best things that could have happened to me. And one of my favorite paragraphs in the big book is from page 417 when it says, and I'm paraphrasing a bit, but for years I was sure that the worst thing that could happen to a girl like me would be that I would turn out to be an alcoholic, in my case, a compulsive overeater. Today, I find it's the best thing that has ever happened to me, and this proves that I don't know what's good for me. Um, Being a compulsive overeater was at the top of my resentment list for multiple fourth steps. And today, when I say that I'm a grateful compulsive overeater, Uh, What I mean is that if God gave me an out of this disease, God told me that he would make me a normal eater, but that I wouldn't need this way of life and I wouldn't have met some of my favorite people and that I wouldn't know him in the way that I do because of this addiction, I would have to say no thank you. And um, while I was still using food as a drug and drowning in the bedevilment, I couldn't imagine ever saying that, but truly um, today I know that every ounce of pain and suffering that has led me to this moment with all of you um, was worth it. It was worth it because I get to cooperate with God today. Um, And God knows that if it didn't take what it took to get me here, I wouldn't be as grateful as I am. So hang on. Don't let go. Don't give up. Borrow my faith this morning if you're not convinced. Um, And I want to say, if you're struggling to see or hear God in your life today, every bit of love and acceptance that you sense on this line, that's God. And if I say anything that's helpful to you this morning, that's God. And if you hear a woman who is clear and calm and connected, that is truly God. Um, Jennifer C. in the food is dangerously antisocial, self-absorbed. I'm either hiding in the food or I'm obsessing about how to compensate for my last binge. Um, Jennifer C. in program but still unrecovered is bouncing from sponsor to sponsor food plan to food plan, 
feeling desperate, hopeless, depressed, and at times suicidal. Uh, God loves performing miracles, and I can tell you that this is one. So before getting recovered, I had seasons of reprieve from this disease, mainly through medication um, or just phases that I would go through where I was able to get a grip on it, right, and abstain uh, from sugar and flour. But ultimately, I've lived an untreated food addict for 37 years. Um, And thank God, as I said, for vision, because this is the first time that I believe I actually heard the message. And I wish I could say that I heard the message and I got struck abstinent, right? Like got through the steps and never ate again. And that's just not my story. Um, I spent over two years after finding vision, but two and a half decades after finding OA, fighting this process, fighting God and trying to find a middle-of-the-road solution didn't work. And here's here's the truth of, of my path. I heard that if what you're doing isn't enough, double it. So at one point, I had two sponsors and was working the steps simultaneously and was still eating. So like an addict, I got another sponsor. I was working the steps with three different sponsors, getting all my assignments done and losing my mind trying to get this, trying to get this. So I challenged the notion that this program is not for people who want it and that it's not for people who need it. It's for people who do it, right? We hear that. But I was doing it. I was giving it everything I had. Like my whole life revolved around it but I couldn't stay abstinent for the life of me. I couldn't get it. And I didn't know what I didn't know. And I, I couldn't get what I couldn't get. And I couldn't see what I couldn't see. I was stuck. And that was part of my surrender. You know, that's how surrender went from my, my head to my heart. Because that's how I began to hear the voice of love. And uh, it was a voice that said, let me save you. Let me save you from this. I had to accept um, my personal powerlessness, not just over the food, but over my own recovery process. So it was put your hands up and let me save you. Because I knew how to want it, and I knew how to need it, and I thought I knew how to do it. But I didn't know how to let God have my heart. And I didn't know how to take the trust fall with God and with all of you. So powerless over my own recovery process, right? Like I can't control it. I surrender to it. It's part of this change in my soul that has to happen. And I realize that I'm without power, but I'm not without purpose. And this is part of my purpose, right? And I surrender to it. So I was fully convinced of God's power and love um, when I became a born-again Christian at 18. But I literally had no idea, no clue how to live in continual relationship with God, with myself, with other people. Um, And I actually didn't believe what I thought I believed um, until I worked these steps with my whole heart. 
I was the evangelist reeking of alcohol, to be honest, according to the 12 and 12. Um, let me tell you how amazing God is. Let me tell you what he's done in my life. And then I'm hiding in the pantry with a box of cookies. And don't turn your back or I'll steal your food. So that's where I was. And thank God that's not where I am today. Um, in preparing for this, God led me to a fact that really clarifies things for us this morning. Um, the word God, the Hebrew translation for that word is Tobias, which literally means good. So the very word God translates to good. So even if my feelings and my circumstances don't point to that today, when I say God, I say good. And let's just surrender to that simple definition for now. Um, I'm going to spend quite a bit of time in the big book this morning, and I'll do my best to reference page numbers. As Leah said, we're going to walk through steps one, two, and three together and, and what they've meant to me in my process. Um, so wherever you are in the steps, in your own journey of recovery, like let's ask God for a new experience this morning. God, please speak to me and please speak through me. Um, these are the, the foundational steps for the rest of the work and for everything that we do in this program. Um, so I'll be hopping around a little bit. Bear with me. Um, I'm going to start in more about alcoholism, page 30. Um, first paragraph, most of us have been unwilling to admit that we were real alcoholics. So if you're having a hard time admitting it, welcome home. No person likes to think he's bodily and mentally different. The idea that somehow, someday, he's going to control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker, in our case, eater, right? Like, I'm going to get a handle on this. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Step one, I have to fully concede to my innermost self that I'm a real alcoholic. This is the first step of my recovery process, right? That's what these paragraphs are telling me. The delusion that I'm like other people has to be smashed. These steps are the bulldozer. God does the smashing. So in this paragraph, I want to point out three words. It's actually two paragraphs that I just read from. Three words, delusion, illusion, and obsession. These three words have very similar meanings, a um, little bit different, but they ultimately lead us to the same conclusion, okay? Um, first of all, obsession. Obsession is an idea or a thought that continually preoccupies or intrudes my mind. Um, and it's such a strong idea that it causes me to believe things that are not true, right? Um, I'm going to get a handle on this. Maybe you can't, but I, I will. Like, I'm going to find a middle-of-the-road solution, right? Or I can eat certain foods. Maybe you can't, but I, I can. Um, illusion. An illusion is to believe something that's untrue. It literally is a false idea or a belief. And the word delusion is to believe something that is simply not based on reality, 
So what these paragraphs are telling me is that my real problem is that at some point I'm guaranteed to believe a lie, right? Like I'm going to believe a lie. Um, step one, XXVII, doctor's opinion, cannot differentiate the true from the false. I make decisions based on lies over and over and over again. And part of this concession is that I make bad decisions over and over, believing the same lies, right? Like, I believe a mind that doesn't even have to come up with new lies. It can use the same lies that it used last time, and I'll believe them this time, again. And I'll realize their lies after I believe them, because only after I believe them can I honestly see the truth. So I realized that step one with food didn't mean admitting that I was done, because that's what I thought it meant. It actually meant admitting to myself that without a psychic change, without a change in my soul, I'm not done. And I'll probably never be done. Because it meant I had no power to be done. Right? Like I'm not done. I think I am. I want to be done. I'll promise myself. I'll promise you. I'll believe what I say. But I won't be done. And that's the baffling nature of this malady. And the first step is that I have to admit that. Like, this is me. I have this mind. I'll keep touching the stove. I'll keep grabbing the hammer. I'll forget every reason not to eat. And I'll eat. Number one lie I ate over, over and over and over and over again, was the lie that I would get back on track, right? Like, I know abstinence is is really, really important. I know my whole recovery process is contingent upon it. However, what's one more day, right? What's one more half a day? As if that ever happened. You'll get back on track. I would hear you say that I can't stop once I start and my mind would immediately recall all the times that I stopped. And I thought I was the one in control of when I started and when I stopped. But here was the truth. The truth was I was never getting back on track. I was just in the cycle of addiction. Um, on again, off again, right? Like I was never back on track. And that was the lie. That was the lie. It was a whole year of getting back on track. And all that happened was my binges were getting worse and worse and worse. The bedevilments were getting worse. The unmanageability was getting worse. I wasn't getting back on track. But do you know how many times I picked up over that lie? Too many to count. My greatest obsession will be to get back to when I could eat a nutrition bar and not binge, right? Or chew gum and not chew six packs. Or eat spontaneously and not binge. Smashed. Those are the lies and those are the delusions that have to be smashed. That's what this book tells me. So the AA 12 and 12, step one, which I also absolutely love that book and it played a very key role in, uh, in my recovery process. Step one tells me, like, I don't want to admit complete defeat. Practically no one does. 
That's what we're fighting against. It tells me that my natural instinct cries out against the idea of personal powerlessness. So there's going to be a fight for step one. There's going to be a real internal struggle. I don't want to admit personal powerlessness. It is truly awful to admit that. Food in hand, we have warped our minds into such an obsession for destructive eating that only an act of providence can remove it from us. Only an act of providence, right? That's part of step one, powerless. I have no power to overcome this crazy cycle. So, but it, all, it, it, it also tells me that absolute, absolute humiliation and admission of defeat is actually my first step towards liberation and strength. So there's the hope. There's the hope. My admission of personal powerlessness finally turns out to be the firm bedrock. Powerless over the food and powerless over recovering myself. I can't recover myself. So if the first step is admitting defeat and conceding to my deepest self that I have this mind and I have this body, then God, please help me to concede. God, please help me to concede. Um, The word conceding, it means to admit that something is true or valid after first denying it. So In the definition, there's a denial of it first. There's a resisting of it first. It also means to surrender or to yield. So I finally surrender and I finally yield after first resisting. So what am I yielding to? What am I surrendering to? In my case, in our case, we surrender to the doctor's opinion. That without a spiritual experience, I'm stuck. I'm stuck in some promises. Um, But they're not the promises of recovery, right? They're not the promises I want to be stuck in. They're the promises of this disease. And I'd like to point out a paragraph in the doctor's opinion that I personally see as a list of promises. It's on page XXIX. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it's injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems like the only normal one. They're restless, irritable, discontented, unless they can, again, experience the sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which they see others taking with impunity after they have succumbed to the desire, as so many do. And the phenomenon of craving develops. They pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over unless this person can experience an entire psychic change. So what are the promises? Promise number one, at some point I'm going to get restless being abstinent. At some point I'm not going to want to be abstinent. No matter how bad my last binge was, no matter how badly I want what these recovered people have, at some point, I'm going to be restless, irritable, and discontent, being abstinent. 
And promise number two is that I'm going to want the ease and comfort, right? I'm going to want the effect that in my disease, only food can give me. When I am in an unrecovered state, nothing relieves my anxiety and fear like food does. Nothing. It's just the way it is. Nothing gives me the rush, quite like throwing in the towel, right? And saying, forget this, I'm eating. Nothing distracts me the same way. And yet nothing causes me the same amount of pain. Promise number three, this disease, this disease is going to promise me ease and comfort. That's the promise. And this is going to become an obsessive thought. It's going to be a strong idea, and it's going to cause me to start to believe some things that are simply untrue, right? The illusions and the delusions. Page 24, my so-called willpower at this point is going to be practically non-existent. Unable at certain times to bring into my mind with sufficient force the suffering and the humiliation of a week or month ago. I am without defense, right? So there it is. There's the promise. This is going to crowd out all the other thoughts in my mind, all the many reasons I have to be abstinent, right? Like the fact that I woke up this morning and abstinence was the cry of my heart. At some point, my mind's going to get twisted and I'm going to want the food more. So step one, I'm not done. I'm not done. Restless, irritable discontent, I have to say, the volume on all three of these things goes up significantly once I pick up the food. I don't care how restless, irritable, or discontent I am. Once I pick up the food, it's on steroids, right? But it's like I take a pill for an itchy rash that I have, and one of the most common side effects for taking the pill is that I'm going to break out in an even worse rash than the one I already have. And then I take the pill anyway, because all I can think about is alleviating the pain that I'm already in without any thought given to the fact that I'm going to have an even worse, more painful rash once I try to make the first rash go away. And my brain is literally blocked from remembering the side effects. That's pretty crazy. Thank God for step two. Thank God for step two. I'm coming to believe that only God can save me. God, please rescue me. God, please help me see the truth. God, please help me to concede to my innermost self that just like my eye color, I can't change this fact of my life. Like I can't change that I have this mind. Promise number four in that paragraph is once I succumb, once I yield, once I surrender, to my disease, to my twisted thinking, to this desire, right? Once I open the door, even a crack, this monster is going to barge through and the phenomenon of craving is going to take over. It's going to hijack my body. It's going to hijack my mind. It's going to hijack my spirit. And it's going to become my God again. Promise number five is that I'm going to go on some extent of a spree, right? Like car without brakes. When's it going to stop? I don't know going to take me farther than I want to go and it's going to keep me longer than I want to stay maybe an hour maybe a day maybe a week maybe a month maybe never I don't know I don't get to decide that 
right? Like once I turn my will and my life over to the phenomenon of craving and the power of addiction, I don't know. Next promise, I'm going to emerge remorseful. It's a guarantee. I have never broken my abstinence and emerge grateful that I can eat whatever I want for the rest of my life, right? Like I will emerge at some point. It may take a little bit of time, sometimes slowly, sometimes quickly, but it's going to happen. Regretful. I will be regretful, wishing that I could rewind time and get my abstinence back, right? My eyes are going to be opened at that point. I'm going to see the truth, and I'm going to see that staying abstinent would have been the better option, right? Last promise is that I'm going to make a firm resolution not to eat compulsively again. And I'm going to believe myself. I'm going to believe myself because I'm going to be in so much pain that I'm going to think, how would I ever do this to myself again? And I'm going to think I'm done and I'm going to mean it. And I'm going to think that I'm in control of that decision, which brings me back to promise number one. At some point, I'm going to want to eat compulsively again. So my concession to being the real deal means that this is my reality. Like these are my promises until they're replaced by the promises of recovery. I'm stuck in a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body until I'm not. So the big book talks about making a decision and not just a resolution, right? Like resolution says, I'm done. I'm not going to do that anymore. The word decision relates to following a plan, plan of action. It's taking steps. It's following a new course. It's not just saying, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. Remember, step one is that I know I will. I know I will. If I really believe what the doctor's opinion is telling me, I know I'm not done without my psychic change, right? So dignity of choice, the pamphlet. I'd like to share a word that might sound silly, but it came to me one day as I was reading through this pamphlet, Dignity of Choice. Um, It says, what's the difference between a plan of eating and abstinence? In Overeaters Anonymous, abstinence is the action of refraining from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors while working towards or maintaining a healthy weight. A plan of eating is one of the ways in which an individual OA member chooses to be abstinent. That includes refraining from particular foods and or specific compulsive eating behaviors. So the word is actionance. Following my food plan is part of my abstinence, right? Abstaining from compulsive overeating, abstinence, right? But how about I turn my attention to a different word? Actionance. Because I can't just have a plan of eating. Uh, For me, I had to have scheduled phone calls throughout the day, scheduled meetings that I was going to go to, scheduled step work. Okay? And that had to include my heart. My heart. Looking up definitions to words. Letting that ego get reduced. Because I thought I knew the definitions. What am I, in kindergarten? Like I have to look these words up? Yes. Because this is all about it going from my head to my heart. I need a deep and effective spiritual experience. Deep, deep 
I prayed my heart out and I made lots of calls to recovered people. And I said, what did you do? What was it like? You know, it's not just about the assignments. It's about, you know, being in treatment. I'm sick, right? Like if I believe what this book is telling me, it means I concede to being sick. I need way more than a food plan. I need a life plan. And I need to focus on actions and not just abstaining. What actions am I taking in order to refrain from compulsive overeating? Following a food plan is just one, right? It's not the whole thing. So that set-aside prayer, set aside everything I think I know about abstinence and surrender and conceding to my innermost self, everything I think I know about being a real compulsive overeater, everything I think I know about a spiritual experience, God, please save me from myself, please. Um, Truly taking step one means really, I automatically move to step two. Um, and I'm fighting this, this, this need for surrender, right? Like this is what the 12 and 12 and more about alcoholism are telling me, like I'm fighting against this. My natural inclination <clears throat> is to fight against surrender. It doesn't come naturally for me, especially as an alcoholic, because I have a extreme case of self-will. Um, another thing that I'm conceding to is that I torture myself for the payoff. The doctor's opinion references alcoholic torture. That word torture, um, was a real eye opener for me when I looked it up because it literally means inflicting pain upon and usually for the purpose of pleasure. That was in the definition. So I'm just like the jaywalker. I have a queer idea of fun. My mind tells me to do that very thing that's killing me, and I agree that it's a good idea. And there's a thrill, but it's going to kill me. And it says you would expect him, if he were normal, to cut it out. But I'm stuck. I'm stuck in some promises. And so the doctor's opinion tells me that the only relief for me If I really concede here, if I'm really conceding, my only relief for the physical cravings is entire abstinence, entire, with no part left out. That's what that word entire means. Foods, behaviors, how often I'm eating, why I'm eating, where am I eating? Stop using food as a drug. That's what that means. Eat when and how and what. The professional tells me. Admit that I'm a professional compulsive overeater. That's what I'm really, really, really good at. And I need another professional to tell me precisely how to eat. And it's going to save me from myself, right? Um, I... I had a moment. My my psychic change was was quite gradual, and my my step one was was definitely gradual, and I was fighting. I was fighting tooth and nail, and I had a moment in my kitchen. And at this point, I'm really crying out because I'm doing everything I know to do, and I'm still eating. And I have a moment in my kitchen where I have a vision of myself putting a 
cone around my dog's neck. And my dog is doing what most dogs do in this vision, right? He's moving his head around and he's avoiding me putting the, the cone around his neck. He doesn't want it around his neck. But I know, I know in this vision as I'm, as I'm trying to get the cone around him, I know that it's for his best interest. And literally to save him from himself because his instinct, his instinct is going to hurt him. And I heard God say in my spirit, clear as day, let me put the cone around your neck. Let me put the cone around your neck. Let me help you stop destroying yourself. The cone was my food plan. It was all of you. It was all the tools. It was put my hands up in the air, stick my neck out and say, God, I'm all in. And this disease is either arrested or progressive, right? Like that's what the doctor's opinion is telling me. So arrested means that it's taken into custody and rendered powerless. So the disease can't physically hurt me if it's in handcuffs. It can mess with my mind, but it can't destroy my body. And it can't produce the phenomenon of craving. Progressive means it's developing gradually, guaranteed to get worse. And the thing is, I would never even think of putting a criminal, a mass murderer, in one handcuff, right? And leaving the other hand free and then calling him arrested, right? But that's what we do with this disease. This disease wants me dead. It wants us dead. It wants to strangle us to death and then blame us for it. And it has to be arrested or I won't have relief. It has to be in both handcuffs and it has to be locked. So this idea that I can play around, this idea that I can have some foods that like sometimes lead to a binge, but not always, this idea that I have some power and that I don't have to be fully surrendered and follow a plan precisely. That idea is like putting a criminal in one handcuff and saying he's arrested. Do I really believe this disease wants to kill me? I had to believe that. It took that for me to get recovered. I had to believe it was recover or die. So the other part of step one is unmanageable, right? Like, Difficult or impossible to manage, manipulate, or control. In addiction, my life is unmanageable on steroids, truly. Like, what am I doing today? I'm eating. The rest of my life, I sit around that. But that's like the main thing. That's what I'm doing. When I was in the food, I thought my life was unmanageable because of the food. That's what I thought that step meant. Like, yes, my life is unmanageable. I can't wait to get beyond this so that it's manageable. What I've learned is that my life is unmanageable because I was never meant to be the one managing, manipulating, or controlling my life. I was never meant to be the God of my own life. And because I was never meant to be God, and because I'm trying to manage a life that's meant to be surrendered, I turn to food. It's too much. And because I'm a food addict, I destroy myself, right? Lots of people turn to food. But guess what? If I turn to food, I destroy myself with it. I become a weapon against myself. So my real issue is that I'm an actor trying to be a director, right? 
Like my life is not unmanageable because I eat. I eat because of the unmanageability. I have the skill set of an actor and I'm trying to step into the director's shoes without the director's master script. No wonder it feels so overwhelming. I don't even know anybody else's lines, right? Like I only think I know their lines. I have my own script, but here I am trying to tell everyone else where to go and what to do. And, and I don't have the master script. So only the director, only the director has that skill set. And only the director knows everyone else's role in the story. But I think I have the skill set to run the whole thing. And I'm so busy trying to tell everyone else where to go and, and what to do that I have no time to learn my own script. So I end up not doing any of it well. Because I really only have the capacity and the direction for my own part. That's it. And we think of that in terms of step three, because that's where it is in the book. But, you know, for me, like, I won't truly take step three, truly, truly, truly take step three if I don't see the dilemma in step one. That what I'm truly powerless over is not just the food. It's not just my weight, but it's everything else. Everything besides my own mind, my own attention to my own mind, and even that, I can't do without God. I can't even follow my own mind. I don't even know my own mind without asking for direction, next right thought. I need God for all of it, right? So I have a tendency to constantly want to look at other people's lines, right? Like my knee-jerk reaction is to exert power that I actually don't have. And that's my brokenness. Like, that's the problem, right? Like, my thinking, my heart. It's not working because I'm not, I'm not meant to live that way. I'm meant to live a surrendered life. And thank God for my food addiction because, because it lands me on my knees. And that's that's where I have to live. I have to live on my knees. So whatever gets me there, whether it's food or something else, like, thank God, because it's where I belong. I belong on my knees. Um, so back to the book, page five, right? Like Bill's story. Liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. It wasn't just eating cake at a birthday party and, and you know, cookies for Christmas. I needed cake and I needed cookies to cope. There's no such thing as a piece of cake. Page five, periods of sobriety, getting back on track, right? Like he had periods of sobriety and that restored his confidence. Like, oh, okay, I can do this, right? The whole getting back on track. But those periods of sobriety after each period, things got worse. Things just kept getting worse. And the periods of sobriety only fed the illusion that he could handle it. Um, and it had to be stopped. He says it, it had to be stopped. I saw that I couldn't take one drink. He saw he couldn't touch one drink. I saw that I couldn't have one bite, right, without eating the whole thing. I saw that. I did that. I lived that. One bite meant a whole week in the food. I saw that. I knew that. Guess what? Shortly after, I came home drunk. Where had been my high resolve? It hadn't even come to mind. It hadn't even 
come to mind. Most important thing in my life hadn't even come to mind. Page seven. Bill meets with Dr. Silkworth, right? Like he gets the information. Doctor's like, dude, you're bodily and mentally ill. It's not just a moral issue. It's an actual illness. Like you have an illness. Bill concedes. Says, okay. I can't have one. I got it. I have an illness. I'm sick. I have this thing. Doctor told me. Now I know. Next paragraph. He drinks again. He drinks again. How many meetings? How many workshops have I been on? And I hear such great material. And I drink again. And I'm eating the whole time. And I drink again because I have no power, right? That's why I have to be praying like my life depends on it because it truly does. Page eight, Bill is cornered, right? Like devastating blow to his pride. Alcohol was his master. Food was my master. Food was my friend. Food was my doctor. I have a headache. I eat. I'm tired. I eat. My greatest escape. It was my greatest thrill. It was my hiding place. It was the best adrenaline rush. And truth be told, it's also the devil's number one tactic of destroying my life. That's what it is. So Bill is really coming to the end of himself. Hopelessness, despair, humiliation, depression, loss of self-esteem, all his self-confidence. And I have to say, like, I've never struggled with suicidal thoughts, but guess what? Several back-to-back days in the food, I want to die. And what do I do with that feeling? I eat over it. But here's what's coming around the corner for Bill. The fourth dimension. Happiness, peace, usefulness. Here's what I love about recovery today. Nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. God will use every single bit of my suffering to strengthen my faith, to strengthen my surrender, and to give me a testimony. A testimony of what? Thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. So thank God for steps two and three, right? Like, thank God for my powerlessness. And thank God that it's not where it ends because it leads me right into steps two and three. But it always has to start with powerlessness, right? Like I can't hop to two and three if I don't firmly believe that I am without power and that that is essentially my dilemma. So I say the serenity prayer, God, please help me accept the things I cannot change, right? Like having this alcoholic mind, being a real compulsive overeater, needing this program. Like I can resent it. I can keep resenting it or I can embrace it. Needing to turn my will and my life over every single day. Needing this intimate and transformative relationship with God. Most of my life circumstances, past, present, and future, those are all things I cannot change, right? There's so much about my life that I have absolutely, positively no control over. 
Courage to change the things that I can. Where and how I exert my will. I have a will. It's mine. God gave it to me. How I use it. God, give me the courage to use it for you. Because I can hold on to it for dear life. I can fight tooth and nail. Or I can open up my hands and I can offer it to God. So I pray for the courage to let go. I pray, God, please give me the courage to let go. The courage to let you save me, right? Like the wisdom, the wisdom to ask, the wisdom to listen, the wisdom to work my part, to work my part, the bulldozer, right? But, but not to just get assignments done. Check, check, no. I need heart surgery. Like, God, here's my heart. Do whatever you have to do. Do whatever you have to do. The wisdom to ask God to do for me what I simply don't have the skill set for. Page nine, one of my favorite paragraphs in this book, then the door opened. Love it. The door opens, right? Bill is a mess. It's a train wreck. This guy had all this potential, bright future, and it's a train wreck. The door opens, fresh-skinned, glowing. Something is different about this man that's standing in front of him. And I have to share my own experience with this. Um, I was on a relapse workshop, and I had my camera off because I was stuffing my face with food. And I saw Melissa C. for the first time. I had only heard her voice. I saw her face for the first time, and I was I was so intrigued. I, I was so intrigued, and I just, I just wanted what she had. I just wanted what she had. Uh, thank you, Melissa, <laughs> for being my Abby. Thank you. And I got to say, like, when I first talked to Melissa, if she told me to do 14 cartwheels and sing Frosty the Snowman 18 times every morning, I would have done it. Why? Because nothing else worked. And Melissa didn't tell me to do those things. She told me to have a food plan from a nutritionist. She told me to commit it to her every day, what I was going to eat. She told me to make three phone calls a day. She told me which meetings to go to. She told me to pray my heart out every morning. And she told me to call her before I ate. Thank you, Melissa, for being my friend, for lovingly pointing out my insanity. (laughs) That was part of the unraveling process for me is I didn't know I was insane and she had to kind of show me. Thank you for teaching me that sponsorship is also a friendship. You know, it's about being firm when you need to be firm, and it's about being soft when you need to be soft. And it's about being available and setting aside old ideas and being open to guidance and direction as you sponsor people. And it's about working intensively, right, just like Bill did. If I want what Bill has, guess what, or had, I got to do what Bill did. 
So thank you, Melissa, for teaching me that. Thank you for being my Ebby. Bottom of page 10, pride and prejudice, right? Bill says, when they talked of a God personal to him, who was love, superhuman strength and direction, he became irritated and his mind snapped shut. Just against that theory, right? Like not against every theory, but just against that one. And can I get recovered without believing in this personal God that the big book is referring to? Tells me that I can start with any conception that I have, right? Like choose my own conception. But I also know that part of the definition of conception is to begin. It's to begin. So where can I begin? Creator? Sunshine, creator of sunshine, creator of springtime. Can I start with creator of me? Can I start with love? Can I start with goodness? Can I start with grace, hope, sobriety? Can I start with help? Where can I start? Where am I willing to begin? For me, step two was about God being greater than my mind could conceive. Um, I had to believe that God wanted to do above and beyond what I was asking for. Um, We come for the vanity. We stay for the sanity. God gives us a new personality. And in essence, a new life. I have a completely new life than the one I had before getting recovered. And truth be told, it continues to get better and better, not because my life circumstances get better and better. Some of them do, but I have experienced some of the most painful things that I have known in my whole life since getting recovered. And guess what God did? Guess what God did with that? He matched calamity with serenity. That's what he did. And that's what he does above and beyond. So here's this pride, right? Like the self-sufficiency, the self-reliance, the I don't need God. I'm going to find another way to do it. I'm an exception. I don't need a perfect father. I don't need a new employer, right? Like my thinking is better than God's thinking. Let me find my identity and all the answers to my problems within myself, right? Or on the internet. Step two is about my mess. It's about my brokenness. It's about me moving away from myself and moving towards love, the love that wants to save me, right? Like it's about saying yes to miracles. And sometimes it's about borrowing other people's faith. Sometimes. Where am I willing to begin, right? So now it's my turn to make a decision. I make a decision that my way didn't work. Um, I've been told that I'm powerless and my behavior and my experience with food attest to that. Can't deny it. Can't deny it. Um, And you've told me that I can't manage my own life and that I use food to try to manage it. And the more I do that, the worse my life gets. So now I make a decision. 
or I don't, right? Like, or I play around some more. Turn my will and turn my life over to the care of God. When we look at step three, we see a God that we choose to offer ourselves to. It's a good God. And perhaps I start by understanding God through this group. Perhaps I start by understanding God as creator. As long as I start. As long as I start. So going to page 62 and 63. These are some of my favorite lines in this book. And I'm so thankful that I get to share this with my brothers and sisters this morning. Um, So bottom of page 62. This is the how and the why of it. God is my father. And if that's not your thing, that's okay. Because air is still air. You're not an orphan. And the thing is, my earthly parents don't define me and they don't define God. So what if God is better than the best father that I could have ever dreamed of, right? Like what if God can heal my image of a father? And what if as I allow that to happen, I also can take on an identity as a perfectly loved child? very strong-willed child, but perfectly loved and perfectly known. Like, what if? And it tells me that God is the principal, the director, the new manager, right? Like, my life is under new management. I don't have to figure this whole thing out. I don't have to pay the bills myself. I don't have to worry. I can relax. I can take it easy. I can trust. I can obey. I can ask. And page 63 says that when I sincerely take this position, what position? The position of being cared for, being loved, being directed, being guided, being known. When I sign my name on it, sincerely Jennifer, right? Like when I sincerely, once again, my heart, not just reading the words over and over again in first person, Good exercise, right? But it doesn't ensure that I'm, that I'm taking this step with my whole heart. And then it tells me that when I sincerely do that, all sorts of remarkable things happen. I have a new employer. He provides the job description. He trains me. He delegates the people in my life that will help train me. Counselors. Friends sponsors like he delegates he's a really 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 good employer and he pays me so well he pays me so well and what's my part my part is to stay close to him and to do his work well so step three for bill he says how blind i have been He assumes spiritual blindness as part of his step three. He didn't see what he didn't see before, right? Like he didn't know what he didn't know. He sees his pride and prejudice. He sees it. 
clear as day. And what he does with that, page 13, is he offers himself to God. He does the opposite of his pride. He places himself unreservedly under the care of God. The care of God and the direction of God. He, he taps out, right? Like he already decided that alcohol was his master. It was going to take him to the end. It was going to take him to the end. It was not a good God. And neither was self-will. Neither was self-centeredness. And that's what steps one, two, and three is all about. It's about what's underneath the food. It's my self-centeredness. It's my self-propulsion, right? Like, that's what I really need help with. The paragraph before on 62, our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves. And the alcoholic, which I've already conceded to, is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. So if you don't think that's you, you fit right in. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of the food? No. The selfishness that eventually leads to the food, right? If we don't get rid of the selfishness, it's going to kill us. That's what this paragraph says. And then it says God makes that possible. There's no way of entirely getting rid of self without God. Many of us had moral and philosophical convictions, right? Like, we know the right thing to do. We know what's right and wrong most of the time. We know who we want to be. We know who we want to be. We know how we want to be. We can't live up to it. We haven't been able to. I still can't, right? Like, I still doesn't matter that I'm recovered. I need God every second, every second, just like air. I need God. We have to have God's help. We can't reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. So that's what takes me into this paragraph about God being my director and God being my father and God being my principal and me being a child. Because when I live there, when I sincerely sign my name on that, I get relieved of this self-centeredness because I know that God's got my back. God's got me. How can I get you? How can I help you, right? Because I don't need to be so concerned about myself. That's where I used to live. And where did that take me? It eventually always took me back to the food because living in a self-centered place is so painful. It's a painful place to live. And what do I do when I'm in a good amount of pain? I turn to food. So Bill does the opposite, right, of his pride and his prejudice, which he finally sees for what it really, truly was. He admits for the first time that of himself, he is nothing. Nothing. He says, without God, I am lost. Wow. It's a pretty powerful third step. God, I am nothing without you. I am lost. I'm, I'm completely lost. And then it says he ruthlessly faces his own sin. 
He humbles himself before his creator. He's all done blaming God, right? Like he went from blaming God to to humbling himself and asking for forgiveness from God. He's done asking the question, what's God done for me, right? Like what's God done for me? Now it's time for Bill to get his directions from God and say, what am I going to do for God? Who am I going to be for God? And that's my sufficient substitute today, right? Like that's, that's our sufficient substitute. That's what eradicates the self-centeredness. That's the medication for it. It's truly stepping into that place where I can offer myself to God And I can make his agenda my agenda. And this book lays out precisely how to do that. Precisely. It's all there. Thank God. Thank God. I don't have to figure any of this out anymore. No more internet searches, right? So another thing that Bill did was he realized that he had adopted the parts of God that seemed convenient to him. And not too difficult, right? Um, The rest, it says he disregarded. And when I read that, I thought, you know, how am I doing that today? How am I doing that with this book? How am I adopting only the parts that I'm comfortable with or seem convenient to me, right, and disregarding the rest? How am I doing that with this program? How am I doing that with my marriage? How am I doing that with my ideals, which really are God's will for me, right? So, of course, once again, that leads me to prayer because I'm powerless. So God, please lead me in an honest inventory. In order for Bill to have the experience that he had, he said, sign me up. Sign me up, God. Whatever Ebby has, sign me up. I'm all in. I'm not going to be choosy anymore about this stuff. I'm not going to I'm not going to waste any more time. God had specific directions for Bill, and Bill followed them precisely. And if he hadn't, where would we be? Where would we be today? So, he had a newfound friend, and he asked God to take away his sins. Root and branch. Root. What's the root? Self-centeredness. The branch. My character defects. Gluttony is my most destructive character defect. But I have lots of other branches, right, that stem from this extreme self-centered nature. And God can save me. God can save me from living in that place where I am literally controlled by self. So I was thinking about this idea of like roots and branches and soil and you see these words being used. And the awesome fact for us today is like God is so much more than father and employer and director and friend 
He's our defense, right? Like this book tells me I don't have a defense. My mind is going to lie to me, right? So God is my defense. He's also an amazing gardener. Like he gardens this whole process. He doesn't just plant the seeds of truth inside of me, but he waters them. He brings people into my life, into my path. He brings conversations. I read things. I hear things. He provides the sunlight. And he cuts away the things that need to be pruned. And he gets to the root. He gets to the root. Remember, I need an entire psychic change. I don't just need behavior modification. That was my old life. That was my old life. That was, that was my, my life marshaled by self-will. That was the best I could do. New food plans, new food programs, new self-help books, new commitments, new promises, first of the month, first of the week, first of the year. I can't change my soil, but I can dig in, right? I can dig into this work. I can dig into this process. I can follow directions. I can keep coming back. I can keep seeking. I can keep praying. I can ask for an open heart. Wherever I am, I can be right there with no judgment. And I can ask God to move me. I can ask God to move me. And if I don't believe, if I don't believe quite yet, then I can borrow the faith of all the people around me who are walking miracles. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Let's see. So as I shared, step three for me, in order to really, truly take this step, it really had to be big because I needed sanity, but I needed, I needed life. I needed to not need stimulation anymore, a constant distraction to keep me going through my day, right? Like I needed to know how to sit still for a while and be with myself. I needed a God who would love me and really truly have the power and has the power so I can relax and take it easy today because whatever comes, whatever I see that needs to change about myself or about something else or someone else, God has all the power. He has all the power. So I go back to step one. I admit my powerlessness. I admit that I was never meant to fix anything or change anything on my own. I turn to God with all of it, right? And that's how I get my direction. And I continuously offer myself. I continuously offer myself. These steps for me are one day at a time. One day at a time. Um, so going back to conception, the process of becoming fertilized, growth, change, evolution, that's part of the definition of conception. So I bring to the table wherever I'm going to begin. And I let God fertilize that. And I ask for an open heart. 
I don't want my mind or my heart to be closed to anything that God wants to give me. You know, I love this program and I love having a vibrant relationship with God because it's the, it's the only place that more and more and more is better. More of God is always better. More surrender is always better. More inspiration. More inspiration. More self-sacrifice. Less of me, more of God. It's a good place for my addict heart to go. Um, When Bill takes step three, we see that he admits for the first time that of himself he was nothing. So I say that. I say that to God. I say, God, of myself, I am nothing. That's where I start. To me, that sentence is just true humility. I can't breathe on my own. I can't wake myself up in the morning, right? Like, I mean, I can set an alarm, but if God says my time is up, it's, it's up. Completely dependent. Of myself, I am nothing. But when I allow his inspiration and his direction and his guidance and his spirit to fill me up, I have everything I need. And that's, that's where I want to go into my day. Like, I want to go into my day with that vision of God's will. And that's what this book tells me to do, to take God's vision into all my affairs. And here's the truth. I'm going to miss the bullseye constantly. I'm going to miss it. But today, I know what it is. I know that the bullseye is, what page 16 tells me, is that faith has to work 24 hours a day in and through me, or I perish. 24 hours a day. What? That's the bullseye. I'm going to miss the mark. That's the literal definition of sin. That's the word, um, what, what the word sin actually means is missing the mark. I'm going to miss it. But thank God that I know how to clean it up today. Like I know how to clean it up because of this work. I know how to receive grace and forgiveness. And, and how to do my part in the relationship that I have with God. It's not just a one way, right? Like I don't get to just keep coming to God for more and more and more without saying, here I am. Have all of me. Take it all. Take it all. I don't want it. Because you write a beautiful story, God. You're not just the director. You're the author too. And quite frankly, I wasn't a very good one. Or I wouldn't be here. So... I accept my brokenness and I thank God for putting me in this very distinct entity with all of you. Um, I thank God that I need this program because it's a beautiful way of life. It's practical application of the life that I was meant to live all along, right? But like this book tells me, most alcoholics have to be pretty badly mangled. I had to be pretty badly mangled. That's my truth. That's my truth. My whole world had to fall apart so that God could put it back together. Page 62, selfishness is what I need deliverance from. I thought that it was just about gluttony and my other addictions, right? If it wasn't one thing, it was always another. But it's actually my self-centered nature 
that I need constant deliverance from and how do I get it? I continuously, I continuously turn towards power and I use the bulldozer, which are these steps. And I allow God to smash the delusions, smash the illusions, smash the obsessions. And one of my prayers is like, God, you know what? Be my obsession. Be my obsession. Thy power, thy love, thy way of life. And to me, when I look at Bill's story, his step one seems to really have been taken when his problem wasn't just the alcohol anymore. Like it was about his spiritual blindness. It was about his need for surrender. Um, It was about admitting defeat with self-will and his spiritual malady was turning away from God. That's when he got his spiritual experience was when he could really see the real problem. So his solution is my solution. It's your solution. Turning towards love, turning towards power, turning towards each other. What a beautiful gift we have in each other. Oh my goodness. There's so many people on this line this morning that I just would pay good money to give hugs to. We're turning towards hope and we're turning towards freedom. So thank you all for being here this morning. And with that, I pass. And thank you, Jennifer, for this rich and profound presentation this morning, chock full of personal experience and insights. Thank you so very much. Today's share ID, 18,710. That's 18710. Jennifer's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording in a few minutes, so stay tuned for that. Let's try to get in maybe one question before we close here. Uh, anyone have a question? Star one to unmute. I need your name. Toby W. Toby W. Um, my name is Elaine uh, G. from New York. I'm sorry, what's your first name? Elaine. Elaine, okay. We'll New see York. if we have time for that. Okay, very good. Thank you. Toby W., why don't you go ahead with your question, please? Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, you said at the beginning something about the Jewish word. Um, it said, I think you said Tobias. Could you explain that? Uh, sure. So um, in Hebrew, um, the word God is translated as Tobias, T-O-B-I-A-S. And the literal definition of that word is good. Hope that explains it. Thank you, Toby W. Elaine G., your question, please. Star one to unmute, Elaine G. Yes, Elaine G. Yes, Uh, your question, please. I was off and on with this today with the... The meeting, um, I had a problem with the family. But anyway, um, I see um, the whole thing was about God. You know, God, God is uh, our creator, you know. And without God, I can't, well, without God, I do my own will. And usually it doesn't work out. It works out terrible, actually. 
but my question is that um, in my family, the, uh, my sister, she's um, having a big farm. She's assistant living, and she sounds like she's losing her mind, to tell you the truth. And, and uh, my uh, my nephew calls me, real upset, and uh, he says, I think she needs to hit a bottom. I think she's a narcissist. And uh, according to my friend, a narcissist is somebody that uh, thinks of them only themselves and wants to hurt the family. Um, I really think my sister is very mentally ill. You know, I don't really know if she knows what she's doing over there. And uh, he says he didn't want to talk to her. But, you know, she's my twin sister. And um, no, she doesn't tell me the truth, but she's still my twin sister, you know. Can I help her? Probably not, but I, I feel like I could just be there for her. And um, so uh, I'm powerless. I am totally powerless over this whole situation here. I have to keep my abstinence. That's number one. I can't Elaine, can I request yes. a question, please? What? Please ask a question in the interest of time. If you could please ask a question from of our speaker. Uh, yeah. Um, I heard a lot about God as she's speaking. And... Um, I guess I guess I have a question. I guess I just wanted to share that. Okay. Well, thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. Anybody have a quick question for Jennifer before we bid farewell? Maya P. Go ahead, uh, Maya P. Right. My question would be: um, uh, Although I have a food plan, I eat my food compulsively. The how. Uh, uh, that's the one question. And the other question, every food that I like, uh, that it's tasty to me, it's uh, uh, like a compulsive food for me. So how the speaker can uh, has dealt with stuff like that if she ever had something like this? That's all. Thank you. Thank you so much for that question. And here's what I would tell you. Um, get really, really clear with your sponsor on what your entire abstinence means. Get really, really, really clear with your sponsor on what it means to be food sober. That is very important um, as you work the steps. Thank you. Thank you, Maya P. And Rick J., I heard you if you'd like to pose a question in our remaining time. Oh, thank you, Leah. Thank you so much, Jennifer. And um, this is something I'm struggling with all the time. Um, what is the first indicator throughout the day that um, you might be starting to miss the mark a bit? Your self-will is starting to reassert itself and disconnecting you from God. Do you do you have a little bit more clarity on what that looks like for you today as you go through the day? And then what do you do? Uh, that's a great question. Um, good morning. I, uh, I, I have found that my spiritual condition affects my mood. Um, they're not separate. Um, so if I find that I am agitated, irritated, like the, like the book says, agitated or doubtful, right? So if I am agitated in any way, um, or doubting anything, doubting 
doubting that I'm going to be taken care of, doubting that I'm making the right decision about something, doubting God's presence, doubting God's love. Um, Any sort of agitation or doubt is an indication that I need to turn to God. Um, And that's it. I mean, like God wants peace. God wants serenity. Um, God wants soundness of mind. That's what sanity means. So if I feel myself just kind of just not quite there, I go to God. I do some work. I pick up the phone. I talk to somebody. Like, God will tell me what I need to do. When I turn to God first and I ask for the next right thought or action, oftentimes I'll get a thought that leads to an action, like call so-and-so or uh, sit down. Sit down and take a 10-minute breather. You know, sometimes it's that simple. But that's why I need to go to God first, because otherwise I'm still kind of in self-will trying to get myself better. I need direction. I need direction. I need inspiration. So I hope that was helpful. Thank you, Rick J., for your question. Of course, thank you, Toby, Elaine, and Maya P. for your questions as well. And thank you so very much, Jennifer, for giving of yourself this morning, bringing to life steps one, two, and three in such a powerful and beautiful manner. We appreciate it greatly. The share ID for today, 18,710. That's 18710. And we're going to close now from page 164. It's in a chapter entitled, A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.